I was just a guy that coached football and played football. And all of a sudden here in five or six years, if you focus on something, you can go get it. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Ben Call. Hey, buddy. What's going on? How's it going, Brian? I'm super pumped to be here today. This is a big milestone in my real estate and financial freedom journey. All right, everyone listening. So this is Ben's first podcast. This is awesome, man. I'm honored to be the first show. And for everyone listening, I I want to just demonstrate, right? So I want, first off, this is going to make people listen to the entire show like five times. Second off, it's, this illustrates a point. So I have probably to the tune of 40 to 60 people a week message me to come on the show which is awesome. And I love it. And I would love to have everyone on the show, but I can't. I can only have two per week. And right now I'm backlogged until freaking August already. And this is June. Ben texts me out of the blue. (laughs) And he says, Hey man, I know your show is packed and you're crushing it, but I went ahead and wrote my show description for you when I get on the podcast. (laughs) He goes, Description, creative financing helped me achieve a personal portfolio of $20 million by the age of 32 in less than four years. And then we go through all the creative financing strategies. Tune in next week to see how Ben quit his job of coaching Division I football, packed up his entire life in a 12-foot U-Haul, and moved across the country to become a real estate agent in his hometown. In six short years, he went from $6,500 in net worth to a $20 million plus investment portfolio. Ben Call, welcome. I had to get your attention, man. My I into my backstory a little bit, but I, I hired a coach about six months ago and he keeps listening and we do our 30 minute calls every week. And he made a challenge to me. He goes, Ben, you're not even on social media. You don't tell anyone what you do. Your story is pretty cool. And I really challenge you to start getting on social media. And I think it's just awkward and I don't like it. And I'm a lot better at talking because I am in sales as a real estate agent and broker. And I said, how am I going to get some of these guys' attention? And I took a little break and went to Hilton Head in Charleston with my wife to set some goals for the middle of the year. And I typed this up and I got scared and I couldn't send it. And so then I was out in Boise a few weeks ago at AJ Osborne and Brits, Investor Girl Brits event. And I'm sitting around some super powerful and impactful people that have made massive changes and influenced my life. And I'm just sitting there with Mikey Taylor and Investor Girl Brit and Brandon Turner and all these guys. And I'm like, you know what? Copy, send, copy, send. And I sent it out to you. And a week later, I'm on your show. I love it, man. This is awesome. And this is going to be a massive value and also illustrates the point that I actually just posted an episode today for people listening. It's Thursday, June 23rd. Brennan Schlagbaum's episode just posted today where he was a big four CPA, Deloitte, golden handcuffs, six-figure salary. He leaves to do a Twitter and Instagram account about budgeting and personal finance. He's making seven figures. 
Brandon Turner sends a text message. He raises $4 million. It's lubricant to everything. It's the social media and the personal brand. And we'll get to that. And we'll birth that with this episode. But first, Ben, take us back, man. So Division One college football coach, what made you hop into that? Sports were my entire life. In high school, I was a four-sport athlete. And one of my high school coaches told me something when I got brought up to varsity for the first time. He's like, you got to set goals and put them somewhere where you can see them every single day as a reminder to go to chase them. And I think I was a freshman and on my mirror, when I brush my teeth every morning before school, I had goals that said, I will play division one football or baseball, and I will go to college because as a kid, I had really massive learning disabilities and it was a huge struggle for me. And so sports are what kind of carried me through my education and took me to college. And so when I got recruited to play football, I said, I want to do it at the highest level possible if I'm going to put my body through it. And I ended up walking on to the Kansas State football team. And I didn't get to play as much as I had hoped, but I learned a lot. We were the number one team in the country. A period of time, I got to play with a Heisman Trophy runner-up, and we got to go to an enormous amount of bowl games. And I got a degree in kinesiology, a minor in leadership. And I, long story short, I got a master's in student development. But I was on the track to be a strength and conditioning coach for guys going to the combine. It was my goal. And uh, after I graduated, my football coach goes, Ben, I think you'd be a good coach. You want to stay around and work here. And so I got hired as the assistant recruiting coordinator at the university. And as a young college kid, getting to stay in your college town at your university with your girlfriend, dream job. You're sponsored by Nike, breakfast, lunch, dinner, laundry, your gym, everything's at our facility. Wow. A couple of years later, I ended up getting married and awesome. Did Nike but- sponsor the wedding? I wish that would have been pretty sweet. Yeah. Just I do it. Yeah. Just I do it. Right. Y'all can Um, log off now. I'm sorry. I coached for almost four years. So three full seasons in four years. And it's an absolute grind at that level. You're working 80 to 100 hours a week year round. You're in the office at 630. You're lucky if you get home before 10 or 11 at night. Mm -hmm. And the first six months that I was married, I literally got home one night. I brought a boxed meal home. And my wife set her alarm. She woke up to have dinner with me at 1130 at night. And we just looked at each other and we're like, what are we doing? This just is not the lifestyle that we imagine is like a newly married couple and like the future once we have a family. And we just looked into some other options. And I had a buddy back in my hometown of Rochester, Minnesota, who was the best man at my wedding, who was crushing it in real estate sales. And he was starting to flip house. I was like, huh, that sounds fun. Let's do it. So I got my license in less than 30 days and we packed up the U-Haul, like you mentioned at the beginning and drove back to Rochester and just dove straight into real estate. So what made you choose real estate? Just my best friend from growing up was having success. And I thought it was something that could hold me over until I found a new passion. So really it was a holdover job. (laughs) I feel like that is the catchphrase for all people entering the wonderful world of real estate and or sales. Right. Yeah. It worked out for you, buddy. So what happens next? We moved. We had nothing. We were living in my parents' basement. We ended up buying our first house a couple a couple weeks later. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and we were doing the live-in live flip. And wife and I are in the basement with a circular saw and a garden hose through the window, jackhammering the floor to finish our basement. And then I was trying to meet clients. I was purely just a residential sales agent. And uh, we just had a really good family friend open a pizzeria in town. So he's like, Ben, come on down. You'll meet everyone in town. You can help me put together lights and tables at my grand opening. And he actually introduced me to someone. He goes, come on over. I want to introduce you to someone. This guy owns real estate. It'd be good for you to know. 
walk over there. And long story short, the guy's, yeah, I own some buildings in downtown. I got 500 acres of land. You'd want to take a look at it. I might develop it. I'm like, sure, love to. So I run back to my office and I'm like, where is there 500 acres of land in Rochester, Minnesota? That's this guy that I just met wants to develop. And long story short, I figured it out. I called him and I said, hey, I want to meet with you. I have a plan to develop your 500 acres of land. He texts me his address. It's three hours away in a different state. And I'm like, all right, see you tomorrow. And I- uh, With no development background. None. I'd never even built a house. I just bought my first house for 170 grand. (laughs) Okay. And uh, so I drove down there and I just pitched the hell out of him. And he says, all right, let's keep working on this. It sounds like a good plan. And so this guy, he would call me and he goes, why aren't you in commercial? Why aren't you in commercial? Why aren't you in commercial? And I had no idea what he meant. And then I finally realized the power of investing in real estate because I was learning and trying to develop this land. I read three super impactful books during this is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Start With Why, and Millionaire Next Door. And ever since since then, I made it a point that we needed to buy real estate because I couldn't rely and sleep good at night once we have a family that my phone was going to ring and I'd be able to get a commission check. Wow. So let's... I, the, I, I keep thinking back to young Ben writing his goals on the mirror and like what a small snowball rolling down the hill because that is huge. Is that something that you still keep up today? It is in, in sports. You can probably call me crazy, but in sports playing baseball, I'd step into the batter's box and I'd put this like mask on that. I'm Mark McGuire. And then I'd go behind the plate as I was a catcher. And I'm like, I'm Pudge. I have been Rodriguez with the Rangers. And in football, I put this mentality on that I'm Mike Allstott. And so getting into real estate, I didn't really have a mentor at the beginning, other than this guy who challenged me a little bit and pushed me. And so I would set very attainable goals for the first Mm -hmm. few years. And I'd have a very concrete plan, like I'll make an extra hundred bucks this week. I'll buy this property and very attainable. And it wasn't just till recently that I've started really pushing my goals to a whole other level. Yes, absolutely, man. And that is such a cool observation because I don't think anyone's brought that up on the show before about having to assume this identity. And I feel like a lot of the top athletes, they have like different personas, like the top performers, they go into different modes. Like, Michael Jackson wasn't Michael Jackson until he was on stage. Like Prince wasn't Prince until he was on stage. You know what I mean? You flip a switch. Like I just saw that new Elvis movie. Like you flip a switch for me to be on the show and have normal average conversations with dudes on a random Tuesday that are billionaires. I have to put myself at that level mentally because otherwise it'd be a weird conversation, right? It'd be, tell me about the time where you crossed over the mark. It'd be weird for everyone. (laughs) So it's what I do is I think about the eight figure version of Brian, that guy. And I ask myself every morning, I say, what is that guy doing? Is what's he eating? What's he wearing? What's he listening to? What's he, how would that guy handle it? And I just try to bring that guy into my present day reality to where I am that guy. It's just the only difference between me and that guy now is just a time horizon. That's it. So I love that you said that, man. The one thing I would just add is that getting started in something that you've never even considered 
It's really overwhelming to set goals and get advice. Being young and fresh out of college, you've never really talked about investing. You've never talked about finances. It's always taboo. You sit down at a bar at a happy hour and no one's talking about investing. So it's really hard to find a circle of people that gets you excited and you can talk about these goals. Because a lot of times... When you're in circles, it comes off like you're bragging about something. This One of the big things for me is that the text that you read, other than my wife and my family and my financial advisor and my lender, no one has nobody knows clue. about it. No one has a clue about the portfolio that I've built or my passive income. No, so when this airs, I got a lot of people to answer to. I'm going to purposely make the title like really in your face yeah. for that reason. So this is going to be a really cool experiment, right? Because I talked to you. I was the one that talked to you to convince you to do the coaching when you started with Joe. And now also this man's about to join GoBundance here soon. So I'm curious to see how this guy, Ben, goes from a guy that was making, having goals to make a couple hundred bucks extra to getting the mindset right, to then hopping in GoBundance. And then that tribe, to your point, that's the kicker, Right. So you post what you sent me to go abundance. There's no emotional reaction to it because it's just numbers on a page. And then so you have AJ and all those guys in there and they'd say, oh, okay, man, congratulations. Great job. Like what's next? And then you say, what? Huh? Okay. Instead of people saying, oh man, must be nice for you. Are you trying to rub it in my face? No, we're trying to win together. It's not a zero sum game. But before we move on, I'm curious, as someone that's coming up on your probably six months of coaching, because you use Jason Drees like I do, what have been some of the takeaways? What have been some of the biggest mindset shifts? Because this was your first coach, right? First coach was a division one football coach. I have a degree in leadership. I have a master's in student development. So I put this stuff off. I'm like, coaching's not rocket science. I have a huge mind that's always thinking and always wanting more. What is a coach going to do for me? Mm -hmm. And it was actually this past winter, I got COVID and just quarantined, locked in my bedroom. And I'm sitting here just bored out of my mind and reflecting on my journey from coaching until now. And that's when I realized I was like, wow, I've achieved a lot in a short period of time because I always beat myself up that I'm not doing as much. A lot of these people that I read books or listen to on podcasts or even sell deals to on in commercial real estate. And just being bored on a spreadsheet in Excel, I was like, wow, I've literally achieved financial freedom and I could retire for the rest of my life. And I need to now change my mindset to figure out what's different. And fortunately, I reached out to you and I got hooked up with Joe Moffat and he has been so impactful on the rest of my life. And I'm so excited to see what happens next. Joe, buddy, I know you listen to the show. You need to come on, man. But so in the terms of goal setting, what have been some of the big shifts that you've made with your goal setting in specifically from this? Because I'm curious, because this is the first time that you and I are talking about this as well. So it's just really cool for everyone else to be able to get impact from this as well. Everything was so small thinking. And when I was a, just purely a residential real estate agent, just saying yes to anything and everything and figuring it out and hopping on Google and staying awake and drinking coffee until my meeting to figure it out. So I didn't sound like an idiot. My goals were small. And actually early in my licensed career as an agent, I started a property management company. And it was by default because I sold a, a townhome to a clinic patient here at Mayo and his nurse told him it'd be good to keep it. And my thought with a property management company was like, wow, 
I can manage other people's real estate and this will be my passive income without having to risk debt. And so I was the DIYer. I'd paint people's apartments. I'd snake their toilets. I'd mow the lawn. I'd plow the snow. And one night at two in the morning, I lift my snowblower out of my truck and I'm just sitting here putzing around in the wind. And I'm like, this sucks. Like, I'd rather be this guy who owns this stuff and hire me to come out here and plow the snow at two in the morning. And that was a huge shift for me because the guy that I'm managing is actually a business partner of mine now. Wow. Okay. God, I was so excited for you before we even get into this, like the rest of this show, because you've accomplished big things, but like you, there's just different levels. And Jason talks about the the different level, like level 10 mindset, level 100 mindset. And I was just listening to Alex Hormozzi and he said, Russell Brunson, the guy that does click funnels, he went to his mastermind. And the reason Alex Hormozzi became Alex Hormozzi was Russell said, dude, you are running a level 10 mindset and you're operating a level two business. He goes, get out of the business that you're in, teach others how to do this, get on social media and blow up. And now look at Alex Ramosi. So I feel like you are like at that precipice right now. And it's just freaking awesome. And even where I'm at today, I don't like risk. Like this whole journey for me has never once been about money. It's literally just being able to sleep at night without any concerns. If it's finances, if it's being able to go to the grocery store to afford gas, I just want that freedom that basically your show talks about. And so it's never been about money or wealth or or passive income. It's just about the freedom of being able to sleep at night and have a family where I can be in tune with everything that's going on without concern. Exactly. So let's go back to you just going and creating this land deal. You're networking. You say yes to something. You have the balls to just go for it. And then this guy says, okay, yeah, I'm open to developing all of this land with you. Is that how you began the self-storage? What did y'all end up doing with that? No. So that was a three, four-year journey. I flew down to Florida once to the National Builders Convention to try to meet engineers to try to learn quickly on a weekend before another meeting. And we got close multiple times. We had meetings with the city. We talked about zone changes, phase one, phase two. And the guy's smart and I don't, I'm not upset at all, but he ended up selling it to a developer out of the East coast, the entire 500 acres in one shot. And he called me and he goes, Ben, should I take this price? And I look at him like, it would take us 15 years to get that amount of money. So yes, you should sell this land. Mm-hmm. And so I never got to do it, but I learned a ton. I'm in my home office right now and we actually developed our own land and parceled off a couple lots and I'm sitting in a house of some land that I developed. So I got a lot out of it. But to answer your question about storage, the gentleman that I told you that I was plowing his snow and I put him up on a pedestal, I'm like, wow, this guy owns like 13 doors. He's got a couple buildings that I manage. Like I want to be this guy. And I would just start sending him ideas like, hey, you want to do this? Hey, you want to do this? And we just came across an opportunity through a banker that we had worked with. And it was a $1.5 million storage deal. And me and this guy had never even considered storage, but we looked down at the numbers and we're like, whoa, these are pretty crazy. The lady sits in the office, she handwrites invoices, she handwrites receipts. Her answering machine says, sorry, I'm out of the office from November to March. Please call back when winter's over. And in my head, I'm just, these light bulbs are going off. Like this is going to work. 
So literally we were under contract in 24 hours and closed 30 days later. What? Yeah. And looking back at it, it's been the best deal that I've done. But when we get into creative financing and how to do bigger deals, it was probably one of the dumbest deals I'd ever done because the bank just said, yeah, you got to put 25% down. We're going to give you a 20-year AM. Let's do it. And when you're putting that amount of cash down into a deal, you blow through cash really quickly when you're really early on and you don't make a ton of money. So one of the big things that we did in real estate is being scared all the time is all of my commissions went into a savings account. And then the next year we would use them to pay myself a salary. So for my wife and I to take this jump to scratch up the money, we basically drained our bank account to get into this deal. And it was one of the best things that we'd ever done. What a shift for you. What do you think? What do you think got you over the edge? If you're talking to someone right now that's a compulsive saver and is super risk averse, what made you pull the trigger on that? Because now that changed the fabric of your life and the direction of your life. What do you think it was? I think it it was the confidence of being a pretty starting in real estate as a salesperson. I did pretty well my first year. And then starting a management company and growing the management company. And I was like, I could tell you the price of almost everything in Home Depot. I know what renovations cost. I know how to look at deals and invest them now because I literally do the books for people and I manage multi-million dollars of real estate. So I know everything. And this guy that I had put on a pedestal in my management portfolio says, you're a fantastic operator. Let's do this together. And just that one sentence to me gave me the confidence to do it. And that speaks to you being valuable to him too. So it was like, you're always one relationship away from completely changing the fabric and course of your life. And you reaching out to that guy over and over again with those ideas, like that was just planting seeds. And then eventually when it was time, you were the obvious choice. Wow. And yeah, that was going to be my next question before we transition into the financing world, which is I know is your bread and butter and your forte here. So you put 25% down to that 1.5 million when you and the partner, oh my God. And so we... Three, 312,000, three, 312.5. Yeah, closing costs and title fees. So it was about $375,000. So you essentially both went in like 200. Yep. And keep in mind, I just bought my first house for 170 grand and put 3% down on that. So like we were strapped. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So then how did, so y'all go under on this self-storage deal. And then, so self-storage is more business than real estate for people that are listening. We'll have AJ and all of them on and they'll talk about it. And it really is just, it's more the business side. It is a business. You need to have the people in place, the systems, the technology. Walk us through that transition now that you have this. And I'm sure like you're freaking out after dropping that cash. Walk us through stabilizing that asset and then how you moved into creative financing moving forward after that. Yeah. So storage, we didn't have a clue. I was just like, we can get a 10% cash on cash return as is and just hope it gets better. And being super conservative, me and my partner made a, an agreement that we weren't going to take any distributions or any cash out for probably five to seven years, just because we were both scared of doing it. It was the biggest investment either of us had ever done. And so being an operating partner, I was like, huh, I don't know anything about storage, but I got a couple of buddies who own hotels. 
And I was like, I just went and talked to them. And I was like, hey, how do you guys operate a hotel? I'm going to do the same thing for storage. And they're like, you got to get a website. You got to put things online. You want people on auto pay. You want to try to get everything streamlined. You want to collect rent on the first of the month. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I can do that. And so I just Googled like easy storage software. And sure as shit, there's easy storage solutions is the software that I use. And uh, the first three months were an absolute headache because the lady who owned it prior to us was in her seventies and been doing it that way forever. And so within about six months, we increased our rents by over 25% and got close to 70, 75% of the people on auto pay. And it made our lives so much easier. And we had the thing stabilized in six to eight months when we thought it was going to take five to seven years. When you purchased it, I'm sure that her record keeping was just abysmal. Like how did, how far off was it? To be honest, it wasn't too bad. She was really detailed. She did everything with a pencil, but it was pretty detailed. The thing that was off is the rents. Someone who moved in 1994, she hadn't raised the rent since. And we bought this in 2018. So we knew that there was room to grow and there wasn't any competition in the market. And then how many pads was this for the self-storage? Or This first one was 255 units. 255 units. Woo! Okay. So then goes from being a residential real estate agent to having a couple of conversations to saying, "Eh, yeah, let's look at this development deal. That completely falls through. You get some confidence. You move up to that next level. You say, hey, I'm going to add some value. And then this guy goes, hey, you've been adding a lot of value to me, Ben. Let's go ahead and knock out a $1.25 million storage deal for 250 units. You're like, yeah, sure. Oh my God. Literally, and that's how it happened. That's insane. That's really cool, especially after you're 3% down. So what was the... So you've got this stabilized now. What was the switch that flipped for you to start moving into all these creative financing opportunities? Because I really want to learn about this and dive deep here. Yeah, we bought the storage deal. And as we were stabilizing, and I was like, whoa, we just spent all of our money. I got to make some more money quick. So my mindset went from... I have this $1.5 million deal. I got to go right back to residential where I'm comfortable and it's a lot Mm. less risk. So my mindset went back to less risk, but I ended up getting a hard money loan to buy a house. And so I got a hard money loan to buy a house to flip it and do the typical Burr method that you hear about on bigger pockets and everywhere else. And it ended up working out. You pull the paneling off a wall and your foundation's about to fall over and you blow $8,000 and there goes your budget for a contractor. So now I'm waking up at four in the morning to go renovate this place myself. And at the end of the day, it worked out. I bought a house for free and I got $5,000 cash back. So I just got a house for free and $5,000 in my bank account. It worked out great, but it was the worst thing that I ever did. And I wanted to stay out of residential. I had too many mistakes during that process that I didn't want to do it anymore. And I had too many clients who wanted to buy residential homes. And I didn't want to be the broker that cherry picked the good deals. And I said, you know what, from this learning experience of flipping this house and doing a hard money loan and being able to sell all these residential properties to my clients who are wanting to invest, I'm just going to focus on commercial because I got this one deal. And through all of that, out of nowhere, there's a hailstorm that comes through and hits our storage facility. So we get an insurance claim and couldn't find anybody to put a steel roof on the storage deal. So I just look up and I call Tracky, who's the storage building provider. And they say, hey, call this guy. He builds all the buildings in Southeastern Minnesota and he owns a couple thousand units himself. 
I'm like, I'm going to call this guy and <laughs> you have I have my, care. you have my attention. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care what he's going to charge. I want him working in my buildings. And so we looked at the bid, but it just hired him. And uh, I'd stop by every morning and help him carry the steel panels up to the roof and bring him bolts and start to talk to him. And fast forward, I'm like, Hey, I want to buy the rest of your portfolio. And so we worked him for a year and built a relationship. And he finally agreed to sell us another facility that was a couple of miles away from ours. And again, this happened so quickly within about a year's time, this one was $1.75 million. And me and my storage partner are like, we don't have the money for this. You're strapped. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, how do you buy something with not much money? Go on to Google again. And I start learning all about contract for deeds. And so I pitched this guy. I'm like, hey, let's do a contract for deed with 10% down, a low interest rate, amortized over as long as we possibly can to help with our cash flow because we need the cash. And so we negotiated for quite a while and he said, yes. So we're under contract. And then he calls me back and he goes, Ben, I want to sell you our other facility too. And I'm like, oh my God. And we're under contract and it's now 1.9 million on top of that. So it's almost $4 million. And me and my partner are like, we can't do this. We don't have the money. And we both agreed that we wouldn't have an opportunity like this again. And between our portfolio, we'd have close to $6 million in storage and five, six, 700 units with the ability to expand even more. Like this is our career. This is like all we need to do. So we just got a little bit more creative with our contract for deed, put it under contract and closed it. Okay. So what did you wrap this all into one purchase or how did you finesse this for the, with the contract? Cause I'm not entirely familiar with that kind of close. Yeah. So essentially a contract for deed is essentially the seller is the bank. So, so it's like seller finance. Yep. Seller financing. Okay. Yep. Got it. So seller financing. So we put 10% down at a 4% interest rate with no prepayment penalty. And we're able to stretch the amortization out over 30 years, which is fairly rare in commercial real estate. But what that did for us is it yep. really helped our cash flow because these were 60% occupancy. They had gravel parking lots, weeds growing, didn't have security. And so we knew again that we have a five to seven year plan here where we're not going to be able to take any money, but it will be worth it long term. Ooh. Okay. So did you still do that 10% down for the entire buy? So 600? Yep. So 300 each. Where'd you come up with that? We were scraping pennies again. So I fortunately, my as an agent, things continued to, and that business, things continue to double. My management business, things continue to double every single year. And so again, we live a very private and modest life. So we were just savers. We were able to come up with the money and close this. Man, holy crap. Okay, so now we've been prepping for like, what's the time? What's the time horizons between this? So you've got your first deal. And then a year later, all of a sudden you take down a $6 million deal. So the first one happened in the fall of 2018 and the second two happened in the summer of 2019. So people listening, you're telling me that what you're aiming for, and I'm not knocking you, you tell me what y'all are aiming for is doing, I'm going to buy a house. Then I'm going to buy two units the next year. Now I'm going to buy four units the next year. I would challenge that. Because Ben, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but now within what three years you went from buying a house three percent down for 175 to now you own over six million dollars of storage. Wait, no, that's more like what, like nine? So when we initially bought it, it was worth six. It's worth substantially more now. So like I said, with the reason that I also love commercial real estate is not only can you get creative, but the tax benefits are substantially more. So as somebody who is a commission-based agent or has active income, I don't pay taxes. So segregation. Exactly. So all the money that I'd always stored away for taxes we do a cost segregation study and now I had a big chunk of money that I could continue to reinvest. And so not only is it powerful, commercial real estate is more powerful for tax purposes, but you can also get creative with financing to make things work for you. I just had this deal that I mentioned and it was harder for me to get a $400,000 loan on a personal house than it was to get a multi-million dollar loan on a commercial property. (laughs) The irony of that is not lost on me. <laughs> oh my God. So you have to be what's qualified, classified as a real estate professional, right? For that. Mm-hmm. And then what are the parameters for that? Because right now, that's probably something I need to be looking into because I'm out of W2 and now I've got a bunch, I've got like four 1099 sources of income coming in, but I also do real estate. So I need to be conscious of how I'm structuring this. So is there's a time allotment or something? How do you... Yeah, so essentially to qualify for reps or real estate professional status. And you need to qualify for reps in order to do cost segregation and bonus depreciation on properties. So there's a little bit more that goes into it, but you essentially need to spend 750 hours in real estate or working on essentially your properties. And 51% of your time needs to go towards real estate. Okay, that's good to know. And can you give, before we move on, because now I know you had some acquisitions after that, correct? Well, before we get into that, can you talk a little bit more about the seller financing and walk through what you learned? Um, Like go back to that Ben that was Googling essentially seller financing and talk to that guy that's listening, or guy or girl that's listening right now. That's okay. I've heard Gabe Hamill talk about seller financing. I've heard a couple of people on the show talk about it. How do I go and approach a deal to discuss this creative finance. I think I need to use a baseball analogy here that run baseball, it, man. Run a brother. Yeah. 300 batting average will almost get you to the Hall of Fame. 400, you're in the Hall of Fame. And so with seller financing, you're going to crash and burn a lot because you have no idea what you're talking about and how to even approach and educate a seller on it. And a lot of the times you have to educate brokers that you're calling to explain why you're offering this and why it's in the seller's best interest. And so essentially the high level pitch that I have for sellers that I work with that, especially if they've owned it for a long time and don't have a loan on it anymore, is that they're going to get absolutely pounded with taxes and capital gains upon a sale. So if you sell a property for $2 million, they could pay 30, 40, 50% in taxes. And so I basically just educate them and I geek out an Excel sheet and kind of show them if we sell it on a contract for deed, they become the bank. And I say, are you tired of being a property manager or a landlord? Why don't I teach you how to be the bank? And I say, how much money have you paid to a bank over your lifetime? I want to make you the bank. And so now I show them that over five to 10 years, all of the interest that I would normally pay to a bank goes to them. 
So if I'm going to do a $10 million deal over five to seven years, they could make another couple million dollars in interest. And they get to spread out their capital gains because I'm paying them monthly and yearly, and they're only paying taxes on that. So it's really beneficial for a seller. And then cash flow. Everyone's looking for cash flow. You say, hey, you're in your 70s. Like the lady in the beginning, be like, you don't want to sell this and go through the process of trying to reallocate this capital, do a 1031 or whatever have you. Like, how about I just pay you? You're getting like five, ten thousand dollars a month here, like straight up. Like I'm paying you every month. You're having your cash flow right here and you're not paying the taxable event. Oh my God. That's a win-win. Were there any resources in particular that really stood out to you learning about seller financing that you can direct people towards or is it just being in the game? I think just being in the game, being out at this conference a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys that I've met that I'd never heard of is Pace Morby. Oh yeah. Um, Did you go to the CRE circle? Is that where you were? Yeah, oh, got it. Yep. And so Pace is the king of creative financing. So now everyone that I've talked to since that event, I just go, hey, follow him on Instagram. You'll learn more than I can teach you. There we go. Pace Morby, which by the way, need to message you too, Pace. You're coming on the show. Anyways. <laughs> so for the sake of time, walk us through. So now what does your portfolio look like today? What's the valuation and what are you printing out cash flow wise? So at this point, I have three storage facilities. We're currently working on a pretty large expansion of one of those facilities. I own an eightplex apartment building. I'm currently working on a development of 12 townhomes across the street from the world's largest hospital. And I've recently gotten into retail. I found that retail is something that that can help me push myself away from being the DIYer. And it's a little bit more hands-off. And so I force myself now to invest in other states because I'm the guy, if there's a problem, I'm out the door to go fix it. And so I'm trying to change my mindset. So I'm purposely trying to invest out of state and also into other asset classes that are a little bit more hands-off. To systematize it. Yep. Got it. Okay. And then you've hit your financial freedom. So what, so for people listening that aren't quite sure about like how lucrative a self-storage facility is to actually own, what does that look like to where you can actually take it home? Financial freedom for me and my wife, we don't have kids yet. So it's like, all right, we want to make just 50 grand this year. All right, check. And then we set these attainable goals and I'm eating around the bush to answer your question, but my wife... I know. I'm purposely asking it because of that reason. I knew you would because you're humble and you've never done this before. So I'm pushing you. I literally never if you don't want anybody. To. Just to be very open, I now have close to a $20 million real estate portfolio. And by the end of this year, I'll have over $250,000 of cash flow a year. How'd that feel? <laughs> I'm really nervous. Oh man, sorry, I had to push you there, buddy. I knew you didn't want to answer it. You it's did. okay. We it's can a, take it out a, if you want. We can take it out huge, if you don't want to. It really is a huge weight off my shoulders because, again, going back to my coach, it I was just a guy that coached football and played football, and all of a sudden, here in five or six years, if you focus on something, you can go get it. And I don't want investing or real estate to be taboo. And it's just one of those things that I hope I can be someone that's an inspiration for just one person to get started in it where they're comfortable and hopefully just snowball it. My whole career in sports or now in real estate has been that hockey stick approach where it, it was really slow. And then after you get the confidence, you can just take off. Can I offer some perspective there? Let's do it. So I used to think the same thing as you. That's why I pushed you there because we're friends. And then obviously, but uh, yeah, before I was very quiet 
about everything because when you first start out, you have so many people tell you all the right, all the ways and reasons that things will go wrong that you get really scared about putting it out into the public because A, you don't want people to shit on you. And B, you don't want to come across as arrogant or someone that's like boastful or bragging or any like that because that's not us. Like you don't want to be that person. And I kept everything in the chest for years and years. And I did all this background work with abundance with all these guys and formed relationships. And then I'm growing. And then finally, somebody said, you share your story. And I thought, I don't want to do that because I don't want to come across this way. But as soon as I did, and as soon as I did it with the intent of helping others, which is what you're doing, everything 10x, almost overnight. And you'll be shocked at how fast you grow and scale because what you'll start doing is you'll post this, people that will listen to this, and especially to this part right now, and they'll all of a sudden, you'll be flooded. People will be like, whoa, like I've got a self-storage unit. Hey, Ben, take this. <laughs> like, Hey, I've got this multifamily, take this. And it's just, it's awesome, man. So this is a cool journey. It really is. Uh, it's been fantastic. And like I said, it it's something that I've truly reflect on because I'm a guy who's got the pedal down all the time and just keep my blinders on and just go. And being a fullback, I was just a guy who would run into people and drink Advil and just do it over again. Of course, you're a fullback. <laughs> and so I was just a grinder. And so this coaching journey has helped me slow down and reflect on it. And I'm just super excited to see where it goes for me. And if I can help other people along the way, I'm super pumped to do that. Football guy, certified football guy. If you're a fullback, you're a football guy through and through. (laughs) (laughs) Grab the ball, block and tackle or run through faces. Yeah, that's a fullback. And hey, that's what you did, man. You grabbed the ball and you ran down the middle whenever you got the opportunity with every single deal that you did and you gotten rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. So Hats off to you, my friend. This has been very cool to listen to and very cool to learn from. You've provided a lot of value to people today. So where can people find you? Because now is the time. So I don't have a website. I'm barely on yeah. social media. I, one of my last posts was from when I coached college football seven years ago on my Instagram. But I'm making it a point to get on there. So I'd love everyone to find me on Instagram. Ben underscore call, K-A-L-L. And uh, hopefully I can get into the social media game. Ah, come on. I'll challenge you there. Hopefully I can get into the social media game. No, you're going to murder it in social media. You're going to be a social media king. You're going to be the next Grant Cardone, but more wholesome. No, I, I, seriously, if people reach out to me, I'm happy to talk to anybody about it. Like Coaching is my background, so I'd love to help people through the journey or answer any questions people have. So please do reach out to me. As an agent, you can find my email address, my phone number, call me anytime. Love it, Ben. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you for coming on, man. This has been fantastic. I've been honored to be the first public coming out of all of this. So this has been fantastic, brother. Thank you for texting me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story and uh, appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. And with that, we will let leave you guys with that. Go build a life that you do not need an escape or a vacation from. This has been Brian Lubin and Ben Call with the Action Academy Podcast, signing off.